Welcome to Alchemy, the home of the open mind. My guest this episode is Amanda Dawn Vollmer. Amanda holds a degree of Doctor of Naturopathic Medicine from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto and a Bachelor of Science in Agricultural Biotechnology. For most of her life, Amanda has taken a keen interest in botanical medicine, self-educating on the topic many years before attaining her formal medical training. There's so much more I could speak about, but it's not my platform. I'll let Amanda do the talking as we continue. Alchemy. Amanda, how are you? I'm I'm hanging in there. I'm doing good. How are you doing, John? I'm really good. I'm very excited about this chat. I mean, I'm always excited about the chats on alchemy because they're so kind of all-encompassing and the breadth and scope of them is always something that interests me. But your work has been fascinating to me. And I first came across it only this year, kind of in the last six months or so. And I've plunged headfirst into lots of interviews you've done, your website and the whole lot. We'll get into all the details as the interview progresses. But there's a question I ask every first time guest on the show. And that's how did you get from where you were, Amanda, to where you are now? (laughs) Well, I'm almost 47 years old, so it's quite a long story. But I I really just wanted to learn why I was here. I, I think the... The underlying desire was to you know, understand my existence, and that drove me forward into seeking knowledge, trying to understand humanity, this earth, what my purpose was, what, how I could serve God, how I could do what I needed to do to achieve something that I felt was important. I never felt like this was a place to just sit around and do nothing and do a nine to five and (laughs) that sort of thing. I always felt very driven. Um, And uh, it it brought me into more of a deeper appreciation and understanding or wanting to understand the natural world and how things really fundamentally worked on every possible level. So I I read all kinds of of books and I sought all kinds of teachers and different modalities of healing because I I wanted to be well-rounded. I I, I remember, I I don't even know exactly what the source was of the idea of more like a renaissance woman or, or a renaissance individual who would learn about life, you know, uh, all different kinds of aspects. And that's how I always thought of myself. I wanted to know art. I wanted to understand health. I wanted to know music. I wanted to know uh, spirituality, all of those spheres, because to me, that was an idea of mastery. Um, and I didn't come just to play around. So that's that's what got me here, ultimately. Um, but I started off with art and that led me into the natural world and that led me into animal medicine and and that led me to human medicine ultimately. What a fascinating arc. And I have to ask, when you were young, like when you were a child, 
Did you have a sense of that without necessarily knowing what it was? Did you feel maybe a little bit different from your contemporaries? Or was there, was there something that kind of has continued to resonate that you can trace back to childhood, even a feeling? Well, I had quite a mystical childhood uh, I thought was normal uh, for a long time. <laughs> and then I realized that the experiences that I was having were not what other people were experiencing. And that's where I began to realize I was a little bit different in some in some aspects or I was able to um, not be so defined in what I thought meaning I was very open-minded mm-hmm. um, and a lot of people weren't. And I guess I assumed a lot of things still being in that realm of trying to engage with my ego and in, in, in figure out who I was. And so um, I had all kinds of energy experiences where I could see different things that other people couldn't. And so that was some of my first experiences with this place that you know if people couldn't see that how the trees exchange energy i was surprised about things like that or i was surprised that people couldn't have telepathic conversations with animals and i was surprised that um people didn't couldn't see their spirit guides with their two eyes that they were invisible or that they didn't even think they had them and all these kinds of, of things even the moon i had a relationship with the moon that was very sacred and the moon looked very different to me um it was colorful it was very heavy in the sky like it looked just like completely <laughs> different um and and this sort of thing so i already knew at a young age that we had a whole bunch of skill sets that eventually i figured out weren't really known to most people and that carried me through because i already had um embedded sense of, of energy or vibration or frequency or you know that we had chakra systems and we had uh, uh, energy feeding us from just life itself and it wasn't just about oxygen or that sort of thing and I think that helped me um, hone in on my learning as I as I move forward so yeah I definitely felt different um, after I realized those things and you know the fascinating thing about that is um, for most people that I talk to who would have kind of a similar outlook or mindset or who would have access to those skills a lot of them had to kind of re-remember them, whereas you seem to have carried them right through. Am I correct in that? Yes, to a certain degree. I did go through um, almost like a betrayal sensation where I I got angry when I was around nine or ten because at that age I was informed by my spirit guide and by this relationship I had with the moon and that I couldn't have that anymore, that it they were going to integrate with me or they will, would always be there for me, but now it's time for me to walk, you know, on my own. And I was, I was crying and I was very angry and I felt betrayed about it and I didn't understand the rationale, the reasons for it. Um, so I think in part my psyche uh, suppressed some level of that mm-hmm. and while I was through my teens. And while I still was very fascinated with things like astrology um, at a young age and um, other esoteric questions that were, were sort of something you usually don't come into until oftentimes later in life, um, it was more of a remembering that came to me um, even later on that it all came as a, a layering effect almost and and then I integrated it. So there was a little bit of time where I walked away from, from that for a little while and tried to be normal, <laughs> <laughs> um, tried to fit in, had friends, had a social life, traveled, 
um, had fun, did all kinds of different psychedelic drugs to see what uh, the realm wanted to show me through those experiences mm-hmm. um, and that sort of thing. And then and then to come full circle um, and, and integrate everything and remember everything that I had gone through. So, mm-hmm. And you mentioned psychedelics there. What was your experience with those? Do you think it was a positive thing? Did it help you kind of remember or get back on track in terms of your esoteric journey? Um, or what, what kind of experience did you, did you have? It's a topic that fascinates me, always has. Yeah, I think it was pinnacle to my reemerging and to my integration. I think it was absolutely fundamentally vital that I had those experiences because, again, it reminded me that we're in a, in a realm of secrets, illusions, reflections, and mirrors really mm. and that um i my mind is is really con- in control uh to a greater de- or lesser degree and that's very empowering and 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 those experiences taught me a lot about energy uh, again like so it re uh, ignited that awareness and knowledge and sent me off into other arenas of of learning and then just the plant medicine aspect of it as well because whoa what, what is this doing to my body and and what does that mean for what this place is if i can you know see through right down into a fly you know body with my mind you know and, and yeah. see the inner workings because i i have like had an lsd experience um, it seems, or I can, I can shrink, grow or shrink things with my mind and this sort of, these sort of things, right? So very important, I think for an, especially for someone already open-minded to anchor in those ideas and, um, continue on with being curious about where we are. I couldn't agree more. And I've had my first psychedelic journeys only in the past 12 months. Um, and I've had a few of them and, like without this isn't about me so without going into my journey just the the learning that has come from them has been beyond profound i know people throw around the term life changing all the time but in terms of my outlook and my inlook on life it they genuinely have been life changing and it's a transformative process that i feel resonates way beyond just the experience or the few hours or even the few weeks or months it's it's something that seems to just carry on as you're speaking I totally relate to what you're talking about so that's really cool so it brought you on like to botanical medicine and obviously energetic healing arts such as Reiki what can you tell us about the experiences that kind of formed that or drove you in that direction initially well there were were, my family members two of my family members were um, helpful in me identifying and understanding that we can heal with our um, minds and with our hands. Um, for one, my father, who always had the, the, the hands that would get extra warm or burning hot, really, if someone was ill around him, and he would feel compelled to put his hands on them and, and give them that energy, just to, uh, naturally, without any you know, precognition of, of what was going on, just as a, as a reflex, really, as something that you just know to do. Mm. And I had that as well. So that was something that um, automatically at a young age, I realized that we can heal other people uh, with our other bodies or with our hands or with that kind of um, uh, healing love. And then my grandmother, my mother's mother, 
um, she was uh, very clairvoyant and she had a lot of uh, fantastic dream dreams and so do I and I was very uh, you know interested in my dreamscape because being so vivid in my dreaming and having precognition in my dreaming as well uh, I had at least someone I could talk with about what was going on with that and and so she told me things about dreams and and what was important and how to to decipher them and that they're powerful and to listen to them and to just to respect that knowledge and I think and that alone just saying that to me was enough for me to take it seriously uh, so that was that was part as well of me doing the the inner work and uh, and also my subconscious healing because we all do that we all grow up in a way where our minds are fully open and aware and we're pulling everything in through our subconscious mind even if we're not physically looking at it it will come in when we're when we're little that's why it's so important not to expose uh babies and children to things like television and um and advertising and this sort of thing to keep their minds their eyes on the pure things on nature and on family and on things you want them to really learn but uh, not to expose them to toxic things because it'll go in and it'll start to shape their subconscious mind that later they're going to have to process. Um, so the dreams help me understand those things and how to pour the waters of consciousness onto my subconscious self and bring that forward into awareness. And that really, to me, is what part of um, uh, conscious awareness and, and toward enlightenment is about. Uh, where you don't you don't have your shadow running you 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 have a, a full awareness and grasp of those aspects of yourself that may drive you unconsciously um, or urge you forward without uh, awareness and that can get you into a lot of trouble or a lot of uh, uncomfortable situations that may cause more issues in the long run so so that um, the dream world really was something of, of awe for me. And I, I think one of my first books as well was a, uh, a dream dictionary and, and and going into symbology. And then the symbology took me into mythology. Um, and so I, and that the, the mythology took me into uh, religiosity. And then, then I started to read things like, I read the Bible very young on my own, even though I was being raised Catholic. Mm. I didn't quite understand the Catholic way like I didn't understand nobody explained to me why I was doing the things I was doing so I I didn't quite I would go along with it but nobody told me like why we're doing it (laughs) which I think really would have helped me understand what the rituals are for Um, but that still egged me on into wanting to read the bible and then and then later wanting to read all the other religious books to see what was going on with it because why do people feel this way about these things you know and when you were reading those books, specifically, I suppose, the big religious texts such as the Bible, obviously there are correlations between them all. So you would probably link things then in a different way to the average academic scholar, you know, somebody who's coming at it from a religious point of view rather than a spiritual point of view necessarily. What kind of learning was there in that for you? Because you said it happened quite young, and that's interesting because certainly growing up myself, while I would have grown up in a Catholic environment in Ireland where 99% of us would have been Catholic and we went to Mass every week and we went through the rituals and the motions, similar to you, we wouldn't have known why. We just did it and went along with it and tried to avoid it as best we could. Whereas I would have completely flipped in the interim and become quite spiritual. And I can see a lot of the goodness and learning that's in the spiritual side that has 
almost been, well, I suppose it has been hijacked, hijacked by organized religion per se. So what was it like for you having an early exposure to these different texts and these on the surface of it, completely different ways of life and belief systems when in fact they're not really that different at all? Was it, was it an instant realization or was it something that crept up on you? Well, it, the I had a, a very important uh, class. I went to Catholic uh, school as well, and Catholic high school. I think it was grade nine or grade ten, and we had a world religions class, and uh, that was what really started to get me curious about what's the similarity between all of these different religions, mm. um, and and that there must be a common thread. And that's, you know, that's what pulled me through all of that and why I started to read all the texts um, and push it together and like, okay, what what of this text and that text and that text is similar? And there there is. There's a fundamental underlying um, morality, really. I think, I think what had happened is they have created the books to try to teach morality, to try to teach almost ethics and how you treat one another. Because they all come down to love, love God, uh, be be uh, well behaved toward God's creations, right? So, mm-hmm. um, obey your mother and father. So, d- d- you know, do not um, disrespect them in in a way that is um, uh, sinful, meaning against the natural order of things or moving forward. Because nature was was very differently described in the day back in the day. It was really nature meant to. Um, to follow along the a fundamental forward-moving motion of things like fertility and having babies and then having families and that sort of thing that was natural, but not meaning like trees and and, and nature as we describe it. It's very different than how it was actually written and used. And even back in those books, meant something totally else. So um, all of those all of those scripts came down to fundamental things. Like don't kill people, don't steal from people, don't do things that are are wrong, and it, and it really was it was teaching right and wrong, and uh, res- how to be respectful and how to honor your existence in this in this reality, and then and then tips and tools really for how to try to do that in in ways that will work for you, um, and that's and that's when I I realized I didn't need to just do religious ritual per se, but I did need a discipline in my life that worked for me. And I think that the religion aspect for people is exactly that, that they need they need something that they can hold to, that is like a touchstone or, mm. or uh, something they can do with their loved ones or something where it's a togetherness. Um, uh, you know, you see all these, you'll see church and really a lot of the people will go to church because it's the congregation they care about so much, you know, it's the, it's the community aspect of it. And I think we've lost our way in a lot of these, um, avenues, but, uh, I think also by design, but fundamentally they were meant to, co- for collaboration, for, um, communication and for support, I think that's very, very interesting, and it ties into something that I do want to chat to you about, which is the seemingly deliberate separation from nature that's been advancing at a rapid pace, even over the last year, never mind over the past number of decades. And I never actually looked at it from the point of view of the ritual of, say, going to mass or church or whatever it might be. 
being part of nature and the true meaning of nature are, are one of the more all-encompassing meter, the, the old meaning of nature as opposed to trees, plants, animals, etc. Because it is a very natural thing for us as social beings to congregate and to worship in a sense in whatever way it might have been in whatever culture, whatever part of the world. So I find it very, very interesting that there there has been such a concerted effort. And I suppose I would be of the generation where it started to happen here in Ireland where, oh, you know, religion is nonsense. Religion is bad. Religion is this, that and the other. There's no good to be taken from it. And just as you're speaking, that to me sounds like a separation from nature, a separation from the natural order, um, which is very, very interesting. And it's a new perspective for me and ties in then too, which is one of my topics for today, separation from the natural world, you know, and, and the world around us and even trees, plants. I mean, we are very separated. There's this tendency now to think that nature is something that's there to serve us and that we should use plants, animals, etc. as we see fit. And I suppose the egoic mind comes into it a lot. You know, we're we're top of the tree rather than being a part of nature and that natural order. What's your perspective on all of that, on separation from nature and what's going on around us at the moment? which to me, and you might have a different view, but to me seems to be a concerted and deliberate effort to separate us from nature. Oh, yeah, I agree. Because if you understand the the long-held um, uh, degradation of what and who we, we were and used to be by whatever these creatures are, um, whatever storyline you want to, to follow, or that makes sense for you, for me, it seems to be an underworld uh, invasion or an invasion of the shadow into um, manifestation, because perhaps we forgot in our ritual to honor the fact that uh, trauma can happen or things that are difficult in this in this reality come to pass, and it's not an easy place to live. It's 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 a place of lessons and it's a place of growth and it's a place of independence where we're given free will by God and therefore we are not intervened with if unless we beg or unless we pray or unless we invoke in some loving way but um, something else has gone awry with the design meaning there's been an infiltration of those aspects that we forgot to deal with it's like we've put garbage in the corner of the room and we keep piling the garbage but we keep ignoring it and it's festering and causing a mountain to form and it's toppling over us now um, and we have to deal with it now don't we and so i think the separation is um, by design if you understand that if we consider it as a shadow um, the shadow is like a broken child or a, a, a hurt child that doesn't have the skills to uh, rectify situations and doesn't have the support to do it in a loving way. And and so it's just hurting. It just comes out as hurting and pain and suffering. And that is, of course, going to beget more of the same. And uh, as you see with, you know, uh, lineages of abusers, for mm. example. Yeah. I, those children albeit you could you could argue some are born with uh, darker intentions than others but i mean ultimately if you uh, disrespect and, and harm a, a child uh, then they will have uh, aspects of their psyche that's divorced from themselves that they don't have access to due to dissociation and that dissociated self uh, cannot rectify those those fragments and that become they become the monsters and so we've created monsters 
for whatever reason, we're needing to see the monsters to deal with the garbage we've put in the corner. And that can beget more of the same, which means the separation and the division and the and the chaos uh, comes out of this because we're trying to sort it out. Uh, if you could imagine now you've got a festering garbage pile with rodents and flies and maggots and things, and now you're trying to tease that out and figure out where it came from and <laughs> mm-hmm. and who it came from. And I mean, that's going to be really messy and it means you have to separate. It means you have to do that. So if the reflections of our inner world uh, in the mirror, because obviously you and I can't, we can't see ourselves. We can only see ourselves in a mirror. We can't jump out of our body and take a hard look at what we how we are mm-hmm. um, so we need a mirror you know we need others to to reflect back to us what's going on in our world uh, and who we are and so if that's all got into such a mess then the reflections can be distorted coming back and it, ha- it can be a more difficult go uh, especially for people who've never done any of the work on themselves they've just gone along with the plan which is you know have your nine to five job um, do your go to your you know sunday uh, religion class or go to your Bible study or, or go to church or whatnot. Um, just do what, do what you watch TV, you know, go to bed at nine or whatever the thing, whatever the rules are you think you're supposed to follow rather than understanding that this is, uh, there's inner work to be done. So now it's all coming about. So we can talk about the they, you know, part of it, uh, which we have to be careful because if we are truly of God and God is all things, then we are all things, which means the separation part is kind of an illusion, right? And we're playing illusions here for a purpose. For a purpose, we may not understand all of the reasons and rationales for, because if we knew, we wouldn't probably be going through this and, and, and doing this. Um, we, the forgetfulness is part of the experience. So um, we have to rectify it in some way. And I think the, the separation serves to some degree our reunification or our desire to do so and our desire to clean up the mess because it will get so uncomfortable and painful and uh, deliberately upsetting that we will have enough of it and we will change and we will we will do the brave thing that needs to happen and face the mess and and really get to it get to that work so i don't want to be perpetually in victimhood right because if mm-hmm. we if we do, oh, well, there's a new world order and there's all these evil people and all this stuff doing it, uh, which we see that in the reality. If we continue to keep blaming, are we not then continually doing this division ourselves? Are we saying it's them? And I, I'm, I'm just as guilty of it because I can see the people involved and what they're, they're player, the players and, and that they're doing very nasty things. Uh, but from a from a spiritual uh, perspective, we have to consider all of the aspects, and we don't want to feel victimized. We want to understand that somehow we're responsible for all of this in in one way or another, as a holographic being, meaning that all things are within us, and therefore we have all the power within us to make the changes that we need to make to completely repair, fix, and uh, the situation and um, and overcome. That holistic viewpoint is very, very interesting. And I'm delighted you touched on victimhood there because as you were speaking, I was thinking we we hear so much at the moment uh, from people who are maybe um, quite wise to what's going on in the world and certainly in the five sense reality around us right now. 
and it's but why me I'm a good person I'm this that and the other I do I do my best but I think that kind of that that neglects to acknowledge the fact that we are a part of the whole and it is an holistic experience that we are a part of and I think without without acknowledging that it can be very easy to slip into victimhood and to see hard times as nothing but hard times for hard times sake and blaming somebody else for it which really isn't a self-serving or b serving the greater purpose or the holistic purpose so i think you've um, you've nailed that spot on for me and it's something i was going to try and tease out of you and it's just come flowing there so uh, thanks a million for that i have a question you've done so much natural learning over the course of your life to date and has it ever been a lonely journey or a lonely process for you because i speak to a lot of guests on this show and you know there might be a for want of a better word an innate an, an awakening process that happened for them or things happened quite suddenly but it's been far more gradual for you or natural or always kind of been there so did you ever feel isolated bar kind of those teenage years where you maybe semi-rebelled against things for a while has it been lonely or has it just felt completely natural to you just like the course of a river meandering along well if my my it's definitely been ups and downs and um and me trying to grapple with me being seemingly slightly different than a lot of people in high school i had i was friends with every group um they i was like a social butterfly because I could relate to every single group. I could relate to the punks and the mods and 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 all of the different, you know, the nerds and the, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had friends in all of these areas. So I didn't feel lonely at all. I felt very connected with people and I really enjoyed that. And, and then when I went through university, I felt connected and I felt I had good friends and we had a lot of fun and I was really learning about social interactions. I, I actually think the main value of even going to university at all was the social learning uh, aspect of uh, interactions with others and, and and all the sociology, which I never actually took any sociology as, as a course because I had too much arts and science going on to take it, but the learning of people was really part of that in what your tribe is or what you think your tribe is. And what was it really upsetting is when I really started to come out more vocally about the dangers of modern medicine, um, most of my friends abandoned me completely. And it was that those, those points when I had to hold true to what I knew was real and was um, the truth and that I had done such work on and that I had been feeling compelled to present as a teacher, uh, to be uh, mocked, uh, abused, uh, so-called victimized or feeling victimized or feeling attacked by others who wouldn't open their mind to such ideas was, those were the points in which I felt extremely lonely mm-hmm. um, because I wanted a meeting of minds. I always wanted to have deep discussions. I wasn't someone who would do small talk ever. I thought small talk was ridiculous. What a waste of your, your precious time. Um, and then then when I went to naturopathic college, I felt, I felt an exuberant joy that I had found 
even like another layer of my tribe. These are people who have holistic principles in mind. They want to help humanity. They they want to use um, the knowledge that God gave us to uh, correct imbalances. They don't. They know not to suppress. They know not to poison. Right. This sort of thing. And. I think the biggest disappointment in the loneliest time of my life was when I realized that was an illusion for me and that those people were petty, mainly jealous, um, competitive, uh, weren't interested in like same ideas, meaning open-minded growth and achieving something in holistic medicine that was supportive to uh, moving forward as improving the medical system, and uh, I was I was uh, taken out. Really, I was I was told by all my institutions that I was not valuable, and I was discarded by that group, by all those people. I think I have only a small handful of connections from my graduating year, or even from the four years that I attended, uh, from all the different years. And that one that was very hard for me to. To deal with and I definitely was in like a victimhood uh, experience after that for a while and I felt very alone and the choices and me standing up for myself and me trying to do what was as right as I knew to be uh, really got me completely abandoned by everybody so at one point I found myself um, absolutely alone <laughs> um, on the, uh, downtown Toronto no friends, no family connections at that point. Um, and the journey became very unique in, in, in meaning that I think when you're on a path, a spiritual growth path, you do find yourself, you have to face yourself all the time. And, and there's points in your life where upheaval happens because you come into a spiritual ego and you don't know at first that you're in a spiritual ego. You think you figured it out when that's, it's, it's a mistake. So I was in spiritual ego for since 2000 um, and running through most of my um, my college. So that was a big wake up call for me to realize that I, I still had much work to do <laughs> going forward, that not everybody's going to believe what I want to believe. Not everybody is going to just automatically understand things. Not everybody is open minded. Not everybody has the same path. Not everybody needs to learn what I'm learning. Um, and that was the spiritual ego. It was saying that, well, if I know these things, then you too need to know these things. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so that really was a huge part of my, my transformation. And I remember reading the power of now Eckhart Tolle and, and he, he had a similar experience where he kind of lost everything, you know, and he was homeless on the park bench for a bit. And I, I remember I would sit on a park bench in downtown Toronto alone uh, with my dogs, and I would go, that's it. I, this is what's happening to me right now. This is, it's because God wants you. It's just you and God. That's it. And, then, and you get really clear about these things. And so it's a gift, ultimately. So, yes, it felt lonely, but I understand that that was a necessity for me to get to my inward work that needed to happen at that point. Sure. And is that what led then to kind of a, a change of scenery for you when you went to study in India and to examine and really get down deep with, I suppose, the, the Eastern philosophies or the Eastern way of doing things 
regarding health and holistic medicine as opposed to the allopathic paradigm that we're so familiar with in the West. Yeah, I, I always felt a pull towards certain places, uh, Ireland being one of them, actually, because at a very young age, at about age five, um, I, once I started to collect, um, my, uh, my mother started to give me an allowance. Mm-hmm. And in my closet, I had a little shoebox. And on the shoebox, I wrote my trip to Ireland. And I would put all my allowance money in that shoebox. Uh, and I had that for years and years and years. And um, I didn't know why I, I felt called to Ireland. Mm-hmm. And to this date, I still haven't done that trip. Um, so I know that there's some part of me that belongs there. Or I had seen a medium, a couple of different mediums that told me that most of my past lifetimes were uh, Wales, Ireland area. And uh, that I'd been repeating things as a midwife or a holistic practitioner or naturopath or these sort of things for many, many, many lifetimes. Um, and so the pull there was related to that uh, energy. And then as well, India, I felt very called to on, on many levels. And I did feel somewhat at home there. So um, that feeling of just a remembrance uh, happened. And the first time I went was I was still in my spiritual ego. So I was, I would just blended right in. I might as well have been Indian at that point because I just <laughs> <laughs> dove into the lifestyle and the, the, the dress and the prayer and, and all of these things. Um, and then the second time I went was more so for study, just specifically study for homeopathy. And I was more grounded in that way. And also I was a little more disillusioned um, because my India experience wasn't as magical or mystical as my first one. Um, uh, there was a little more of a threatening feeling to when I was in Goa than when I was in the north. Um, but it was still very powerful for my learning to to see how the different aspects of uh, culture and religion um, interact and how that translates into um, medicine and how the body is uh, respected or, or not. And what do you think are the, well, what do you know are the fundamental differences then between the Western model, the allopathic model, which most listeners will be extremely familiar with, and the Eastern, or if not necessarily the Eastern, certainly a, a more holistic, homeopathic approach to medicine, as I would call it, true medicine. Um, what, what are the differences for anyone listening who might not be fully aware and might kind of think, well, you got to go to the doctor wherever you are because they know best? Well, simply put, one is connected to God and the other is not, really. Because if you were connected to what the divine right is in this place, you would be listening to your intuition and you would hone that and you would value that above all else and your relationship with the divine so that you would have your inner ear um, and your inner eye worked on, meaning that you're able to discern information, uh, you're able to uh, put your faith in your the father as they say which is is the above energy or the higher energy uh and you put your faith in the mother which is the 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 natural energy or the 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 green energy of of the earth right of the the father creating the mother and the mother is the substance by which you can balance yourself properly and you listen to these things so to me that is connected 
disconnected is um, presumptuous and also arrogant. Uh, and it's the idea of we are separate and we know better than uh, the divine. We are uh, randomly created by some sort of dust experience, uh, some strange evolutionary warped idea that is something that isn't disorganized can suddenly magically become organized, which is absolutely absurd. Um, and that because of this, we are the masters or we are the gods here and we, what we say goes. So it's really a, a split away from everything that is connected to, to us. And that's the difference. The Western idea is forget about anything sacred. Uh, we're going to come in and tinker with the creation because it's not good enough. It's not perfect. It doesn't do things right. It's broken. And we know better. So we're going to add and remove things. We're going to um, make a symptom go away with a magic pill. It's all magic show. And we're going to suppress it. And we're never going to allow you to uh, understand yourself or to make the connection between your illness and your emotional feelings or, or how you're thinking or how you're eating or, or what your lifestyle is like. Because because that whole medical industrial complex is designed to continue to feed on you. Um, and why would they empower you if they're going to continually victimize you? They, they create both the persecutor and the rescuer in the drama triangle that they've created because that's the feeding triangle. And uh, that's that's the big difference. And that's a true separation. Um, and again, it keeps continuing that trauma cycle rather than integrating all of these parts and understanding you're, you're your own doctor. You can listen to the divine. You can go into nature and find out what it is to correct you. An animal will naturally go and eat a plant or eat uh, an, something nourishing or fast or go into water or change its temperature or, or earth or ground or do what it needs to do for self-correction. And the, the animals are smarter than some of the humans in that regard. And also that's one of the reasons why I wanted to assist animals, because um, I felt like they are the innocent ones. They need a voice to protect them uh, and they know better. And so mm -hmm. I'll, I'll go and help that, that world and that realm because the humans are pretty dumb and they don't know <laughs> natural things anymore so I'd rather put my efforts there um, but, but that that's to me the fundamental uh, or or the root difference between the philosophies that that guide the, the ideologies sure and how useful was your education working with animals and just just your practical education you know your self-learning um, when it came to actually then dealing with human patients, yeah, well, it was it was pinnacle uh, because you learn about, um, in general, the the way that the creator has made incredible designs that have similar cause and effect, um, and also that the remedies you can use similarly, um, not all but many. And 
I was most interested, of course, in, in energy medicine, and I went into homeopathy very early on, uh, and I learned, uh, you know, homeopathy for animals, uh, even when I was still living over in, in Alberta, and uh, I was in Edmonton, and I was, I was with my mentor, who was both a vet and a naturopath, and and a full fully um, trained in China acupuncturists and and uh, Chinese medicine herbalist, and he was really a, a profound mind, and I learned so much from from him and his work and um, his mentorship, and I think that foundation of holistic principles just came through. The, the, you know that training and that that's also translatable into any type of um, body or animal sure, human sure. alike yeah and I, I, that brings us back to you know the the circle of life and the the all-encompassing thing or entity that we are all just drops in the ocean of you know so bringing us right bang up to the present then Amanda and let's talk about Yum Naturals which is of course uh a passion and a business for you at the same time but it's interesting because like as i look through say the, the shop that you have available and the products they're very very different to anything i've seen anywhere else it's almost like you're an inventor amongst so many other things you know like so you're, you're making remedies and you're selling remedies tell us about what they are how they've come about because you have come up with your own blends and and it's all natural and that's very very different it's not a case of you're buying in a load of stuff from somewhere else you're doing this you're hands-on this is your your baby so to speak Mm -hmm. yeah i like that you said inventor because that's exactly how i always felt i felt that i was studying the natural world just like many inventors will do Uh, victor schauberger for example Mm. will study the natural world and um, notice that water always finds its curve. It always wants to to twist and and curve and spin around and and then using that to as a as a knowledge base to help the natural world do what it would naturally be good at doing, rather than going against it uh, and causing more chaos. And it's the same idea when it, when I come into the invention ideas, uh, I'm listening. I'm watching and I uh, am using basic principles of the knowledge that I've gained, which is essentially through understanding from both Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic principles that everything has a um, an art to it, right? Everything has a display, uh, a sense where it has uh, a color, a flavor uh, uh, of a specific type of vibration. And I learned early on how to read things like that. And then even in naturopathic college to read how different herbs have synergy with one another. They have a type of an alchemy. So you wouldn't put something that was, um, if you put something, say, that had a bitter with another bitter, well, then you're going to synergistically get a very strong bitter. Mm. However, if you want to balance your formulas, which is ideal, then you would put a bitter with something that had to sweet, mm-hmm. uh, like a cinnamon. Or you would put a cool plant with a, a warm plant to balance it. You know, Or if you were trying to encourage the body to go, to, it was too wet, you needed to add drying principles. And you would add herbs together that were going to encourage drying. Or, 
or for example, if the tissue is damaged, uh, what do you need? What does the t- tissue need to come back? It needs support networks. So you would give it an astringent. You'd give it something that would tighten and tonify and repair the the form of the tissue because the form is the function, and these sorts of understandings. And when I came into the, all these ideas, I was excited because. For one, it only came out because I assumed, again, in this part of me, I assumed that people are like me too much. And I think, oh, well, I'm sure there's someone doing this already. I mean, I'm sure there's a a diaper cream that is all natural, based on sound principles, no preservatives, um, in, you know, sustainable uh, packaging and all of these things. I assumed that that would be so. And I didn't find that. And that was alarming to me. And that's, okay, fine, well, maybe not, and maybe there's a sunscreen like that, or maybe there's a some sort of calendula cream I can use, or whatever, because I, I had a child and I needed things that, of course, were going to be very, very gentle for her skin. Um, and that's really where it began, because I couldn't find that exact thing. And I decided, well, I'm not going to, I'm not the type to... Uh, give in or to submit to something less like subpar that's not my way and so I will invent it I will make it then if I must Um, and that's really how it came about and then I realized that from all my chemistry training and even my childhood I really loved mixing things and putting things together and looking at what blended well with things even with food was very interested in all kinds of different diets as a child as well. And uh, and it just came from there. And then I started making more and more. And I think at one point I counted 150 different blends and remedies and things that I, I had made. And uh, I went, oh, okay, well, uh, that's fine if I have a small business and I only have a very uh, tight-knit um, uh, client-based but if I if I start getting well known, which is what happened, it's become a little bit overwhelming because I, I I sell out things so quickly and they're very small batches and they're all handmade and of course they're all with value added natural products that I've picked out of my garden or I've grown in my garden uh, or I've wildcrafted somewhere about and so it doesn't it's not like what we're trained into, which is this um, factory created repetitive large-scale <laughs> business model you know and um but it's it kept me it kept me excited to create and I, I always want to keep creating and obviously your business has grown and gone from strength to strength and you have become very well known amanda can you tell us is like is there a particular invention or and i don't like the word product so i'll stick with invention but is there a particular invention that kind of has become your trademark or your flagship or that you became best known for that drove everything else? Or was it uh, just a more organic process where it was just a lot of different things at once? Uh, Well, there seemed to be a different grouping that would want something. So my, the diaper cream did take off because nobody could find anything that actually worked really well. And so word got out with the parents <laughs> and uh, and that started to just sell that way. So that was one of the earlier ones that was really took off quite quickly. The sunscreen as well, because you don't want to suppress the sun. You just want to make sure you're not going to get too, too much, mm. uh, get burnt and without adding chemicals. And uh, 
my dad is a really big advocate for what I do and he tests everything of course uh, and he's a big golfer so he went golfing one day and he put it on at the beginning of the full course uh, and his other partners had the spray you know sunscreen and all of these chemicals and uh, they burnt to a red lobster crisp and my dad was nicely tanned with one application by the end of it and uh, so that you know, he told other people because he, he realized how valuable it was and then that started to sell as well and these sorts of things. But I would say now, once I started to learn about dimethyl sulfoxide, DMSO, um, I put I started to add that into my blends, which just enhanced them and helped them to absorb and help the medicine to get to the tissues. Uh, so my face left in a jar got extremely popular because it's repairing a lot of damaged skin, uh, scars, uh, acne scars, um, skin tags and strange discolorations. And it does what I say it does. It gives a little bit of a lift. <laughs> so uh, people really like it for that. So that that took off quite, uh, quite well. Um, and then my toothpaste took off really well as well, because, um, you know, if you can avoid going to the dentist to get drilled and filled and scraped and, and, and fluoridated, then by all means, you're going to do what you need to do with that. And so that particular formulation came came out really well and uh, help, has helped a lot of, of uh, people overcome some some trauma in their mouths, um, which I'm, I'm very happy about that. So those two really sell a lot. Uh, and I think the uh, the hair regrowth spray was, was probably in the top top five as well because uh, a lot of people losing their hair <laughs> well they certainly are and it's interesting because if you look back to like pictures from I don't know maybe the, the late 60s 70s and particularly with men the proliferation since then of hair loss and male pattern baldness it just seems to have exploded ever since then and I must say that you're obviously using your own products because you're a picture of radiance and health and youth that absolutely belies your numerical years. So that's testament to it. But I'd love to talk about DMSO for a second because it's not something that would be commonly known, certainly in amongst any of my friends, contemporaries, or even people who are quite health conscious. And those that are aware of it, are they treat it with trepidation almost because, oh, well, that's a chemical compound. It can't be good for you, whatever. What can you tell us about DMSO? And I mean, you are quite an authority on it. You've, you've written a great book, which I have in my collection, which is Healing with DMSO. So what's the value of DMSO? What is it? What does it do for us? And why do you use it so extensively? You've touched on it, but I'd love to know more. Yes. Uh, it, well, you could call it a chemical. You can call anything that comes out of nature as a chemical. If you if you isolate them and look at them in that way, then, then we can call it a chemical. Uh, but really, it's a substance that is not too far divorced from its uh, its essence. And the more you, you alter something away from where it came from, then to me, that, that's really what a, a true chemical is, is something that man has come in and uh, tinkered with its perfect design and, and sort of made a mess of it. Yeah. But uh, the, the DMSO is a substance in trees and in the ocean and plankton and uh, in a lot of plants and even in some of the foods we eat because it strengthens the, the tissues of those plants so that they can remain upright and be um, strong against winds and things. 
and it has to be, of course, removed in the pulp and paper industry because you can't have a strengthener when you're trying to make it soft and and, and pliable. Uh, so it's really just a waste product at that point. And then uh, Brilliant Industry has grabbed that out and said, oh, we'll take that off your hands for you. And they purify it so that it doesn't have the, um, they use what's called a white liquor, which are some two natural-based chemicals, actually, that uh, are just there to bind it and remove it. And then that white liquor is separated off from the DMSO. Uh, and then it's purified through activated charcoal and on you are. And, um, and this is a powerful substance because, like water, it has many different applications. And I, I very much appreciate versatility in medicine. Uh, when you can use one thing for all kinds of ailments and all kinds of usages. And so DMSO is very much like that. So the, the, the main thing I really enjoy about it is that it's a healer in and of itself on its own. It helps with pain and inflammation and increases blood flow and, uh, and helps uh, the tissues to heal, regenerate and so forth. But then it's real, the really amazing thing that blew my mind about it was that it has a capacity to carry other molecules uh, and deliver things and um, and become fully transdermal, meaning it can cross the skin and carry things with it uh, in through the skin that are of low molecular weight. Um, and that to me was quite miraculous because Part of the problem when you're trying to assist people with their health is that a lot of the times they've damaged their gut uh, through poor feeding and, uh, or, and or stress. And then they're not in a good absorption of the foods they're eating. So they continually go downhill even if they start to try to change their diet at the first, at the first blush. They might not do so well or they might even not be able to absorb the food they're eating at all and have bloating and, and gas and all the problems. And if you can nourish the body in another way, parenterally, which I, interestingly enough, I did train in IV parenteral therapy when I was going through naturopathic college, because I knew that when the gut is too far gone, it's very difficult to heal appropriately. Um, and at, at, at the beginning, you can, if you can get the nutrients right into the bloodstream, uh, then you can uh, overcome a lot of illness. And so this was exciting for me because obviously that I became unlicensed, uh, that I couldn't do the parenteral therapy anymore. Um, this was another way to do it. And so I could blend it with nutrients and get it through the skin. I could blend it with the creams and lotions and things and get that embedded deeper in, into the tissues and the delivery of those um, of its own uh, medicine and the medicine of other uh, 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 botanicals and so forth was really added value to it. And I, I really found that quite incredible. And is there a, like, do people have to be a little bit careful with DMSO? Like, is there a potential downside to it? If, if it's so good at, I suppose, taking substances into the body and getting through the barrier, could that potentially be a bad thing as well if people aren't careful about, like, for example, if they mix it with something that we shouldn't be putting in our bodies? Yes, and I think this is one reason and where we've had an issue with understanding holistic medicine and the damage that's been done by the modern medical, um, you know, uh, establishment is that they've entrained people to think that uh, uh, more is better or if you have pain, you take a pill. If you have more pain, you take another pill, you know, and that you're not 
you, you have to be cautious the way that you're using something and more is not always better um, and correct dosage is really what you're always looking toward. So there's correct dosage for your individual self and there's not a one size fits all in medicine. That's what's so in, incredible about what they're doing right now with all these jabs. I mean, they're just assuming everybody's all the same. They're assuming every uh, everybody can is just fine. I, they're absolutely psychopathic. Mm. Uh, it's a psychopathic idea to think that every it's a one size fits all idea, right? Um, but uh, with DMSO, you, of course, you have to be aware of the fact that um, it's very strong. It has a strong effect on the body. And if you use it in its pure form without dilution, uh, you'll be all right. But if you keep doing it, your skin keeps opening and th- there's three different barriers that it transverses. And if you continue to do that, the skin will become leathery and, and red and a bit dry um, and it will heal. But you, nobody would want to do that to themselves. So that's why we properly dilute it. And we learn about dilution. And I go into that in fine detail in my book, very specifically how different tissues require different dilutions. And that DMSO has an intimate relationship with water. And so the amount of water you put with it is going to determine the effect on the tissues as well. So there's knowledge that comes with the proper use of these remedies, of all remedies, including, you know, you go and you pick a plant. Well, you better make sure you're picking the correct plant. And that, you know, for example, example, elderberry, if you go and pick elderberries and just eat them, they're poisonous. But if you uh, dry them, they're not. And, and so understanding the different methods of, of using the plant for your benefit is important. And, of course, it can carry toxins as well as good things into the body. So you're not going to go change the oil in your car and have all that on your hands and then go play with TMSO. That's just not a smart thing to do, right? So, yes, you have to have a modicum of common sense. And it's best to be educated on the thing that you're going to use first. And then you're not in a state of um, ignorance and in ignorance that can breed fear. And again, it comes down to a level of personal responsibility and self-awareness as well, which is something that I think is all too lacking in general life these days. Um, But certainly when it comes to the approach to medicine, as you say, it's like pop more pills, feel more pain, pop more pills. It's just this self-perpetuating cycle, which isn't good for anybody. I'm actually really looking forward to trying the first of your products, which arrived last week, and I haven't tried it yet, which are the DMSO eye drops. Um, as we were saying off air, I have an annoying, it's not, it's not an issue per se, but I have floaters on my eyes, which can be quite irritating if I'm, say, driving or if it's a bright day or something like that. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing if it has any effect on that and general eye health, because I spend a lot of time in front of a screen with my job and with work and too much time. I think most of us spend too much time in front of screens. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to reporting back on my experience with that. But we're going to start to wrap things up. I have a couple of broad questions and you can be as as broad as you like in your answers, Amanda, or as kind of narrow. Either it feels like we're just scratching the surface of so much. I could talk to you for hours and hours. Um, but I suppose a big esoteric question that I have, because I'm fascinated by your background and your story and your journey, is why do you think we're here? What do you think we're on this supposedly five cents holographic plane of existence? Or why are we having this experience that we're having? What's it all about? Mm-hmm. Well, I've gone through many uh, layers and layers of trying to answer that question for myself over the years. And what keeps coming back to you know, a fundamental is that if let's just say we play the game of ifs you know so if 
if we are one with God, and if we are eternal because time and space are illusions, and if we always were, say we always were, and we wanted to know what we were. So say we were all in one big loop at that point, at the beginning, Mm -hmm. if there was a beginning, if you could say that. And we wanted to know what we were or who we were. What would we do if we couldn't see yourself? Well, maybe you would have the idea that you would fractionate yourself and see those parts of yourself and see if you could figure out the whole from the parts. And then the parts became having to want to know what they were. And then those parts became parts and onward and onward. And so this type of idea of an expansion was through separation. And I see it as like the outbreath experience. And then at some point, you've you've divided it enough times where you're like, I think I have got it now. I think I figured it out now. So let's, let's breathe back in and let's start to integrate it again and see what we've learned. And I, I see it like an, like an accordion almost idea or the, the great in-breath and out-breath is how I seem to feel that it, it makes more sense to me. Um, there's all kinds of analogies I'm sure that could work. But if you didn't know what you were, you would try to do that, I think, and, and, and integrate the knowledge. And then you might go ahead and do that again um, and continue to create all kinds of ideas for yourself if you were infinite and you were all knowing and you wanted to be and you were creative Um, so there's that part to think about and then this particular realm aspect is one of those out breaths and it's the there's a huge amount of love that's part of this reality that we're meant to find and I think we're meant to find it in all kinds of methods, in all kinds of ways. And we have to have a duality experience for some reason in order to integrate new levels of of soul learning. And if we decided we wanted to have individual souls (laughs) instead of the one soul, uh, and then there was a decision made, well, maybe I'll give autonomy to those parts of myself, and then there was autonomy, well, then we would have experiences and there would be a plan in place to uh, experience all the things in a forgetfulness way. Because if you were one and you knew all the things and you were infinite, I think you might get bored a little bit and you might want to forget what you were and you may want to play a game for a while and you may want to be a mountain for a while or you may want to be a tree or you may want to be a plant or, or an insect or whatever you wanted to be and have those experiences. So that's to me how I tend to see it. And so I don't take it so... I guess so. I take it disciplined, but I don't take it so seriously, meaning I think everything's all right, ultimately. Um, And I think that this is very much a design in order to help us uh, find out so much more about all things and in a beautiful way. And in order for us to, to experience it, we have to swing the pendulum of our knowledge into the dark stuff, the light stuff, the medium stuff, the gray stuff, like we'll have to go there even if it's uncomfortable. And but ultimately, we're meant to overcome, achieve, reintegrate and lift ourselves up into the next graduation. So I see this place sort of like a school, an earth school. Yeah, what you're saying really resonates with me. You're articulating it far better than I could. 
but uh, yeah, I think there's a, a lot of depth and truth to what you're saying. Uh, another question uh, before we round things off and just talk about your website for a sec. Do you think there's an obligation on us to teach? So if, if I come across a bit of knowledge or gnosis, do you think I have the obligation to show the world or do you think it's I, I'm not talking even about hoarding knowledge or anything like that but do you think that we should totally form our own experiences or are we here to help others and maybe provide the information it's up to them then to take it on board because I hear a lot of discussion these days about you know well don't bother trying to waken people up or don't try to open their eyes you can't force it and I accept that you can't force anything on anybody but I do have a sense that there is a bit of an obligation on all of us to share what it is that's positive about our experience with others and allow them then to do what they want with it. How do you feel about that? Because I know there are differing views. Well, there's there's definitely different ways to, to, to read about it or think about it. One is that you you want to live your design ultimately. So if your design is as a teacher, which to me I felt that that's what part of my design was or I was growing into that design, so to me, that feels perfectly natural to teach and to share the knowledge when the when the student is willing or when the audience asks or when the request is made. So there, the way my design works is I have to be invited in order to accept. You will never see me um, knowing my design. I will never put myself into somebody's hands on purpose, meaning... I wouldn't come to you, John, and say, hey, John, can you interview me? I would never do such a thing. And I have no, none of the interviews that I've done to date have been of my own asking or request or outreach. They've all come to me through requests. They've all been I've been asked because I have that part of my design that when I am uh, asked and I feel a yes inside of my body that I've learned to trust, then that is divine, meaning it will serve properly, won't be a waste of any of our times. It will be the of the correct energy to at least assist a handful of people or whatever. It's correct. It's right to do it that way. That's yeah. the design. Yeah. So so somebody's design might not be that at all. Somebody's design might be to say, hey, John, we got to do this. I feel it's strong inside of me. We, you know, mm-hmm. and that's the way. So I think uh, uh, learning that and understanding that and honoring that is very powerful. Um, and then as well. For those who have had experiences where they've um, crossed over and then they've come back, oftentimes you'll hear them say again and again, the reason for why they were they came back is because they were told they weren't finished their work here, that they had to complete something, that there was a goal that wasn't for nothing, and that they were supposed to do something of service. There was some aspect of service in why they weren't complete here. So if you consider that as well, that means there's some aspect to service that's part of this existence. And then you have to figure out, is the service teaching something I know? Is the service me needing to um, assist someone in some way, whatever it might be? And that might include a teaching something that you've known. But if you if you paying attention to your inner world, You'll know if it's passionate enough inside. You'll feel the drive if it's true. Because sometimes I feel invited by divine energy to do something. Like I felt um, immediately an energy um, the other night to to um, to do a live video and these sorts of things. And I, 
that was I was invited by my inner world as well. So that's um, I was invited. I, I felt a sudden inspiration, for example, to start a group on Telegram for people locally to collaborate. So all the people in Ontario to come together and share what we know um, and to have food security um, and connections because we, we're going to need that going forward. We're going to need to rely on each other because the governments are, it's, they are finished. They are, um, they are taken. So we need each other now and it's making us have to do that, but that came inspired, right? So I guess that's, that's what I'm saying is, is if you're listening, you'll know that answer automatically. And I never will give up on people. I, I know I know that statement that they're they are steadfast in their beliefs and they will not budge and they're stubborn and they're brainwashed into, deeply into that and they have cognitive dissonance and all that sort of thing and I I I I get it I understand it completely. However, you don't know how the divine works and you can't know that and so that one thing that you might have said to teach. That might have been the one sentence. It's all it needed for someone and that might, might not have been from that person. It might have been somebody else who overheard you teach that person who heard it, who needed it. You know, you don't you don't know. So you just have to trust and, and ha- yourself and uh, and know if it's the right thing to do. And you'll learn. You'll make mistakes. You'll push it onto someone and they'll get upset and you'll go, oh, I guess that wasn't the right thing to do, you know. And then you'll get more elegant and more refined with it, and you'll you'll get you'll get the cues when when you need to. Fantastic advice, I think. So, Yum Naturals—that's kind of the hub for all things you, Amanda, at the moment. Um, tell us a little bit about that and how people can get further access to your work, to your inventions, to your products, whatever term people want to use, and how they can get more of Amanda Vollmer. Hmm. Well, there's a lot of designs in the works. Um, the yumnaturals.store, uh, Y-U-M, naturals. Uh, it's it's my you know where I carry professional products as well because I've been assisting people who don't want to go into the medical um, uh, cartel cult sort of situation, and uh, that's what I've designed over many years to that work that help people. And equally, I have my yummy.doctor website, which will be the teaching um, website. And I have my blog and my videos backed up there. And soon there's going to be a forum coming so we can, uh, you know, overcome some censorship and connect. And I'm switching gears. I I used to see patients um, every Monday and Wednesday. And it was getting out of control. I remember my last week I had one day, it was 19 different consultations. And I I had this moment where I felt if I were to continue doing that, I would expire. I would die. It wasn't right for me to do this. Something's wrong. And so I had to, can- I canceled all of my consultations. I was booked until almost the new year. And I I've got the insight now what to do and it's to build specific protocols and I mean very specific so that people can take the knowledge and teach themselves and have a skill set so that they can become their own doctor and learn how to apply technique appropriately for all kinds of situations so that they're not beholden to any person for their health care needs that they can become empowered to that and uh, then 
become uh, outside of the control structures and that feed on, and bank on your ignorance and your fear, right? So I'm designing, I'm in the midst of designing that uh, now. So if people if people register on the site, uh, then uh, through yummy.doctor, then when that's launched, it will be announced. Brilliant. And of course, healingwithdmso.com is where people can get the book. And I think it's on Amazon and some of the usual sites as well, is it? Yes, it is actually in every um, bookseller, major bookseller. Uh, and it's been translated into a few languages as well. Uh, Spanish, German, uh, French. So you can you can find it in your language uh, also. And um yeah, all, all the major sellers, my website. If you order through through my own websites, then I will sign the book as well, which I think is nice. But uh, um, however, however is easy to get. And um, it's very valuable. I've tried to make it very reasonable for the layperson so they don't feel overwhelmed and they, they can start with some basic recipes. Uh, because in the book, you know, you can make your own eye drops. You don't have to buy them from me necessarily. And I would like to teach people how to do a lot of these things and that's where I'm gearing up toward and I'll even have books on how to make some of the things that I make and how to apply some of the the herbal knowledge appropriately and I'm that's what I feel guided to do next because if you can imagine how many people are reaching out for assistance and how impossible it is for one person to reasonably um, approach that, then that means the model has to change so that more people can be served. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening right now. So it's, it's a very good thing. Brilliant. Well, I think the work that you're doing is outstanding, Amanda. And before we go, have you any kind of last parting message for the Alchemy listeners? Hmm. Well, I would say... Um, just really get grounded in yourself and um, look at your reality and find out where the drama you've created drama in your life and um, and then look at it as if you've created it because you have a deep underlying need and identify what your real needs are and then try to see how you can have your needs satisfied in a very natural or um, balanced way and because a lot of people are making messes in their lives because they have unmet needs and they don't know how to ask for assistance Uh, and we need to get really um, out of drama and causing chaos in our lives and take empowerment to to task and that means uh, cleaning up your emotional reality and also cleaning up your physical reality so then also look to your world and see where do you poison yourself? <laughs> so do you have cleaning products that are suspect? Do you have um, foods that you know you shouldn't be eating or other poisons that have been getting into your lifestyle, even through laundry detergent and soaps and all of these things, and start to switch those out and start to make healthier decisions. And then start to look at the companies that you have habitually gone toward and think about if they are part of uh, supporting you really or if they're just feeding on you and then you can make those decisions whether you'd like to support other businesses or small, smaller businesses or you would like to even invent something or make something yourself or simplify your life um, I make all my own cleaning products I don't purchase any such things so as an example um, and even down to what clothing you buy and, and these things so if you really put a microscope on your life in a loving manner and look to those things for little improvements and start to make those over time, it really 
quite um, adds up in a, in a positive way in your life. And then you can feel a little more clear in your thinking and you can start to make more ally, uh, alliances with people around you because they, especially, you know, if a lot of your listeners are in Ireland, Ireland is a sacred place and it's been under attack for a long time. Uh, by the shadow parts, because all things that that shine truth just by existing, like like the energies of Ireland, um, and and the the star forts and all the historical uh, importance there have been you know under attack. So I think they're gonna they come hard for some of these countries that have a free spirit about them or has something sacred about them. So keep that in mind uh, and remember to remember to always give back to God and, and not get sucked into agendas of whatever this um, idea is that's been being pushed on the populations right now. I have the power. You have the power. We have the power. Amanda, it's been fantastic speaking to you today. I really hope we can do it again in the not too distant future. And thank you for joining me on Alchemy. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate you very much for your work. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Alchemy. If you would like to donate and keep us in our current ad-free and non-profit format, it would be greatly appreciated. You'll find the various links on the website. Until the next time, I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. Alchemy. Care. Alchemy. Alchemy.